Okay, let's take a look at phone usage and mental health. Now, researchers at the University of Georgia have found that ignoring friends to look at a phone screen, hint, hint, uh, JD, is linked <laughs> to various mental health issues, including depression and anxiety. What? Yeah. So, Doc, what exactly was detailed in this research? And what are your professional thoughts on this study? Well, fubbing, as it's called. Wait, what is, is what it called? did you call me? What? <laughs> your fubber. Fu- what's fubbing, a fubber? Fubbing. So, fubbing is derived from two words, phone for the P and snubbing, you know. So, you snub someone oh, through right, the phone. Okay, okay. So, it's wow. basically an act of snubbing someone in the middle of, you know, face-to-face conversation uh, right. or glancing or using the smartphones instead of paying attention. You know, although studies have actually examined fubbing in different relationships, very little is known about friend fubbing, you know. So in relationships, I mean, imagine you're in a romantic relationship with someone and all you do is just watch your phone. I mean, it, it does actually have evidence to impact on, you know, both uh, the couple or both the persons that are involved in this. That's called my but marriage. Pres- yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what happens every day. Yeah. Maybe so that's this- why it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the marriage doesn't work. Yeah. So the present study actually looks at individual factors, including indicators of mental health uh, and also personality traits that may be associating with fubbing and how this behavior is relevant to you know, the relationship satisfaction with friends. And they showed that those with higher levels of depression, social anxiety or neurotism were you know, significantly related to greater friend fubbing, mm. while agreeableness was negatively related to the same, you know. So personally, I think it's a rude thing to do, JD. But that may be because <laughs> I'm a pretty agreeable guy and you don't have and don't don't have <laughs> depression or social anxiety as yet. But right. I think apart from being rude as the study suggests, it may be a sign of something the individual is trying to cope with. And so it may be important for people to reflect on their own phone etiquette and see if it's revealing of something in themselves that actually needs intervention. So it is true. Mm. That means it could be some uh, underlying depression issue that's actually there. Yes. A 58-year-old British national fell to his death at a plush apartment in Bukit Jalil recently in a separate and unrelated case at about the same time. And also in Bukit Jalil, police received a call from a car wash centre operator who reported that he'd found his 22-year-old staff hanged at the premises. Doc, you know, suicide cases are on the rise, seem to be on the rise, and even Befrentis points out that uh, calls to the centres of people who've seriously considered ending their lives have increased. And in these two cases, you know, vastly different ages and different socioeconomic backgrounds, yet the same untimely end. Is this pandemic the culprit or is there more to it? Well, you are right. Suicide has risen during this period of the pandemic. Some reports suggest there are three to four cases a day, but I suspect the numbers may be actually higher. In the first case that was reported, the individual lost his spouse to COVID-19 and he was depressed. And then second, the circumstances were different, but he too had emotional distress. Mm. 60% of suicide is due to depression. And we know that depression rates have actually increased through this pandemic period. I mean, we did a survey of about 270 healthcare professionals around the world and found that among this group, 60% reported moderate to severe distress and depression symptoms. So yes, this pandemic is definitely contributory, but so too is the stigma and taboo that prevents people from seeking help for these treatable conditions. I mean, this is not made any easier with the current laws that criminalize suicide, Mm -hmm. making people fear 
coming forward to even seek treatment. Right? We've spoken I mean, about yeah. this to some lawmakers. I think their argument is that their first call is to ensure uh, safety, right, to prevent this from happening and to ensure life continues, right? So that's why they want to criminalize it. But it's still, I mean, it, people I mean, fear, all right? over the world, they've been there. Yeah. They've done this. You don't recreate the wheel because, you know, you think you're different. Correct, yeah. We mm. know everywhere in the world, the more taboo and the more restrictions you put to getting treatment, the less people actually seek that yep. help and, you know, end up with increased suicide rates. I mean, our rates are actually most likely off the roof, but nobody wants to talk about it. It's all swept under the carpet. Mm-mm. Well, politicians play musical chairs. Healthcare workers continue to struggle daily with rising COVID-19 cases, burnout, lack of manpower, beds, oxygen, and equipment. Doc, you know, how dire is the situation with our frontliners, mentally especially? Has there been an increase in healthcare workers seeking mental health? Well, recent local studies found that prevalence rates of depression and anxiety among healthcare workers were about 21.8% and 31.6% respectively. And these were in two treatment centers in Klang Valley. Yes, so that's actually gone beyond what the normal figures usually are. Higher work demands and lower recovery experiences were the general factors associated with adverse mental health. Poor mental health among healthcare workers, especially doctors, is harmful not only to themselves, but also to their patients, you know, the hospitals that they work in and the healthcare system overall. In my practice, I personally have seen an increase in healthcare workers seeking mental health. And it's something noticed even among my colleagues. Um, Sometimes healthcare professionals are the last to seek treatment, you know. Ironic, isn't it? Yeah, Mm. well, physician heal thyself sort of motto. Yeah, yeah. And so when we see our numbers increase, it's an indication of the significant impact on the fraternity at large. And I think it's like, because if you're sick, you go to the hospital and then you're hoping to get some hope from a yeah. doctor. And then the yeah. doctor is just inundated with cases and he's, especially yeah. now there's so much uh, cases of uh, death around, right? They lose mm. hope as well. It affects yeah. you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, we've already lost like 400 contract medical professionals recently. Mm. Well, what needs to be done to ensure the health, both physical and especially mental of our mm. frontliners? Well, there's tons, there's lots that we can do. But, you know, the problem is everyone thinks healthcare professionals have taken the Hippocratic Oath and should still serve despite challenges and breakdowns. I can say that every healthcare professional tries to uphold these virtues, but it's definitely challenging in the light of the pandemic and in light of everything else that's happening in the environment that doesn't support them. I mean, a few things, a few needs that I can think of is, you know, optimizing safety in the current environment by sufficient PPEs and other essentials to ensure safety of all healthcare professionals. There should also be some guarantee that family members of healthcare professionals can receive priority for, you know, testing, vaccination, and even treatment. Mm. Um, and then they need to have appropriate shift hours and adequate rest and recuperation. And of course, remuneration that is appropriate for the amount of work rendered is, you know, definitely expected. Yeah. Sadly, some of our healthcare workers seem to have been taken for granted. Many feel that their services were only needed now because of the pandemic. And the issue of these contract doctors has not really been resolved. 
sleeping in class, something <laughs> I would have been caned for. Right. So this article talks about um, students snoozing in lessons. Um, and that may not be a sign of disrespect, but a symptom of a deeper problem such as depression, anxiety, stress, or family issues. Psychologist Dr. Nicholas Cardaris uh, says sleep issues are a red flag for depression. So doc, doc, you know, family issues, we understand, but what else could a young person be stressed out about that could lead to a lack of sleep that could then lead to depression? Experts say that sleeping in class isn't always due to laziness or disinterest. Instead, it could be an indicator that something more serious is going on. You know, sadly, we think about children as happy human beings, that they're just completing their homework at school, you know, playing around with and living a happy life. But sometimes, you know, we can actually see that depression is diagnosed or seen in children as young as six or seven years old. Mm. Uh, so mental health is just as big an issue in children and adolescents as it is in adults. And sleep issues can be a symptom of, you know, mental health problems. And, you know, typically vice versa. It's a chicken and egg story. If you have depression, for example, uh, there can be increased sleep and tiredness. And those who have sleep problems can also trigger depression. According to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, children aged 6 to 12 should sleep 9 to 12 hours. And teenagers aged 13 to 18 should sleep 8 to 10 hours. But many don't even get that much sleep. So, I mean, stress in children can be related to many things apart from family issues like interpersonal problems with peers, bullying or cyberbullying, overindulgence in social media, internet or video games, or just poor mental health skills. It can also be due to poor scholastic performance. I was wondering about that. Are, are they stressed yeah. out about not getting the A's? Yep, yep. I mean, and who's actually asking them for the A's? Is it them or, you know, uh, others around them? Mm. Plus, kids are living in an uncertain world, so that itself is stressful. Mm. Yeah. Now, now add in the fear of anxiety surrounding COVID-19 mm. and the uncertainty of vaccination for children. It all becomes a bit too much. Home during the pandemic may sometimes prove to be the least conducive place for learning, and this too can pose challenges. So there's yes. a lot that's going on for mm. them. Emotional support dogs are not just pets. Now, the purpose of an emotional support dog is to help reduce the impairment related to a health or mental health condition, says Janet Hoy Gerlach, a PhD, uh, a professor of social work at the University of Toledo. So, Doc, what mental disorders or conditions would benefit most from having an emotional support dog? Well, an emotional support dog is to help reduce the impairment related to a health or mental health condition. And emotional support dogs can help just by interacting or being with their owners. It They're different from a service dog. So there's a big difference between an emotional support dog and a service dog. A service dog will need specific training, such as that service dog that helps a blind person navigate the street. Mm -hmm. uh, but emotional support dogs only need to provide comfort and may be useful for those with panic disorder who find relief by mm -mm. petting their dog or even help a person with depression to avoid socially isolating themselves by getting them to go outside for walks. You know, they got to take the dog for a walk and also find some purpose in their life. Mm -hmm. Or even in PTSD where the emotional support dog can actually help reduce fear by, you know, the person with PTSD believing that it's guarding their own home. Um, in the US, uh, other medical conditions qualify for emotional support dogs like cancer, epilepsy, traumatic brain injury, or even multiple sclerosis. Um, the only benefit in the US of categorizing a dog as emotional support dog is that 
it's an exception to you know no pets policy that may be imposed by housing areas right, right. or by right. landlords with the exception that it does not pose a direct threat to the people mm. uh, uh, in that area or cause major disruption to the community I find it interesting that we're talking about this and all of a sudden literally I've got know, five yeah. neighborhood dogs are starting yeah, go to go off, yeah, off and have yeah. a conversation going <laughs> oh they're talking about us you know is this a, a practice or even common practice here in Malaysia or is it very much a western concept and also you know is it just dogs which are you know considered good enough to be emotional support pets uh not that i know of but i do know studies that have been done locally showing benefits of having pets as emotional partners for those with common mental health conditions so there are local studies that have actually been done emotional support animals are typically cats and dogs Mm-hmm. but maybe members of other animal species as well although a wild and exotic animal that poses an increased risk of disease or potential attack upon other people should be excluded this is my emotional sure. support mm-hmm. python yeah yeah <laughs> well don't let's get through the bot bad those bats yet you know <laughs> yeah. is it a western concept well i suspect I actually suspect so although I have encouraged some of my own patients to look at adopting a pet not a wild exotic one but a cat or dog to support them on their journey of recovery 